Well, good afternoon. It is a, a blessing to be here, as always, and uh, this time that I'm here, I see Brother Travis, so that's a good thing. <laughs> if you have the, your copy of God's Word, please uh, remain standing and turn with me to the book of Colossians. We'll be looking at Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 15 through, through 20. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. God's word reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly faithful Father, we come before you eager to be in your word. And I ask that you, that your spirit work through all of us as we receive the truths found in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Father, let your name be highly exalted today. Please be with my mouth that I will speak with clarity and that your people will hold to these truths, and that more importantly, that your son will be highly exalted and that the dead will will come to have life in him. Be with us today. Be with your people. Be with this message. Be with the proclamation of your gospel, of your word. We pray all these things in your glorious son's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I understand uh, this is a pretty weighty text. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 through, through 20 is actually one of my favorite texts throughout all of the New Testament. And as we just read, you can very easily see why. Um, from beginning to end, uh, it's so weighty because from beginning to end, it's all about Christ and who he is, his good and perfect deity. And this specific section in Colossians was really, um, some commentators have even stated that perhaps it was a hymn in the local church. Now, we don't know for sure, but we can very easily see why this could be a hymn. It's so glorious. It's so rich regarding the deity of Christ and who he is and how he upholds all things together by the power of his word. Another important detail about this text is to to pay attention to its location. It's it's found immediately right out of the gates in chapter 1, and it was placed very early on in the epistle for this reason, for, for it to be a safeguard against heretical teachings. Now, a serious heresy had arisen within this area, and due to this, Epaphras was deeply concerned by this heresy that was slowly starting to creep into the church. And so what does he do? He he takes a 1,300-mile trip to visit the Apostle Paul in Rome while he is in prison. And then Paul then writes this letter to warn the church. And what is this heresy? 
It's a little bit different than what we see in other parts of Scripture. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a paganism and Judaism, uh, specifically in this area in, in Colossae. There were multiple gods already in existence in this town, such as Isis or Artemis, Demeter, and many, many more. And because Colossae was primarily Gentile, philosophy was also big. So naturally, along with philosophical ideologies, naturally Gnosticism would soon creep in as well. Gnosticism, obviously, we might know that as some kind of higher knowledge, something mystical that kind of falls upon you, uh, some kind of secret knowledge that has been hidden, and now you haven't been able to obtain obtained it. Another part of, of this uh, what was going on in Colossae is emanations. Uh, the belief that Jesus was just another person that came down from heaven, from God, with simply just another message. Angel worship was also big in Colossae. And so to cut to the chase, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ was being brought into question, just like it still is very much today. You know, in Matthew 16 Verses, uh, verse 15, the Lord asked his disciples, and he says, who, who do people say that I am? And after, after the disciples say, well, some people think that uh, you're Elijah or you're John the Baptist, come back to life. You know, the Lord turns around and makes this very personal. And he turns to his disciple, really to, to Peter, and he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The question is just as important as in this day as it was back then. It's more important now than ever and will always be a very, very important question. Now, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? The answer to this question carries eternal implications. Eternal implications. For example, just glancing over at other religions, we see that for example, in, in Buddhism, Christ is not recognized as a deity. In the New Age, uh, they don't see a need for a personal savior at all whatsoever. In Islam, uh, Christ is Jesus is a prophet of Allah who was then superseded by Muhammad. For the Jehovah's Witness, they believe something a little bit different, and that is that he was the Archangel Michael. For Mormons in Mormonism, it is that Jesus was born in heaven. As, a, as the spirit child of Elohim, by one of his wives and also the brother of Lucifer. Jesus is just one of many gods for them. And this is the heresy of Colossae, that there are many gods, many messengers that have come down from heaven, and that basically Jesus was just another one of those individuals who had come down from God with just another message. And all these beliefs could not be further from the truth. And so our focus today is, is our focus is on the real Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And I've broken this into really three sections. Uh, uh, verses 15 and 16 will be the, the preeminence, uh, Christ's preeminence in creation. And the, the title of the sermon is The Supremacy of Christ. The Supremacy of Christ. And so uh, 15 and 16, these verses are Christ's preeminence in creation. 17, 18, and 19 will be Christ as Lord and head of the church. And finally, in verse 20, Christ as agent in salvation. In verse 15, it says, For he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
Christ is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible, and we see this clearly taught throughout all the pages of Scripture. Uh, We also know this as a a theophany. A theophany is a manifestation of God in the Bible that is actually tangible to human senses. In its most restrictive sense, it is a visible appearance of God in the Old Testament period, often but not always in human form. For example, in Genesis 18, 1 through 33, we see that in one day, Abraham had some visitors, two angels and God himself. Uh, He invited them to come to his home, and he and Sarah entertained them. Many commentators believe that this could be a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 32, 22 through 30, we see Jacob wrestled with what appeared to be a man, but was actually, he was actually wrestling with God. We see that in verses 28 and 33, this may also have been another Christophany. Exodus 3 Uh, Verse 2 through chapter 4, 17, God appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush, telling him exactly what he wanted him to do regarding the Jewish people, the Hebrews who were enslaved in Egypt. Actually, turn with me, if you can, to the book of Exodus. We'll be taking a look at Exodus chapter 33, 17 through 23. And just to give you a little bit of a heads up, uh, because we're dealing with the supremacy of Christ, there's much to say about this Christ. We're going to be going through a lot of passages in Scripture, mainly in John, but really there's, there's not enough time in the day to go over the glories of Christ. But there is a time. Uh, Exodus thirty-three seventeen through 23. God's word reads, You shall make for yourself no molten gods, Sorry, uh, Exodus thirty-three seventeen through 23. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the Shekinah glory of Yahweh. And Moses had this this beautiful, glorious opportunity uh, to stand before the Lord as intercessor and mediator between God's people and God. But Christ also stood before the Lord also as the mediator and intercessor intercessor between God and his people. For example, if you turn with me to the book of John, in the Gospel of John, we see in in chapter 1, we're taking a look at verses 1 and 2. 
We see that in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. He was there with him in perfect fellowship, beholding his glory from eternity past. And Jesus did not just behold the glory of the Father, but this glory he also has himself. And we see that in John 17. If you are in John, just go on to John 17. Again, there's, there's multiple passages that we're going to be going over fairly quickly. John 17, 1 through 5. And we're talking about the glory that, that, that Christ shares along with the Father. And in verse 1, Jesus spoke these things. Chapter, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you, have, even as you give him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, don't miss this. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was before the world was. This is the same glory that Christ shares with the Father. He is the perfect image of God because he has always been with God. He is God. He's always been with God the Father. He is the perfect image of the Father. And and some may say, well, wait a minute. Isn't man also made in the image of God? We see that in Genesis. And I'd say, yes, you are right. It is true that we are also, that we are made in the image of God, but we need to be very clear about this. We are not made perfectly in his image. Only Christ has been made perfectly and is in perfect image of the Father. Now, we can divide these two things in what we call as incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. For example, incommunicable attributes are attributes that we simply do not share with God. God is omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's sovereign, he's transcendent, he's immutable, and he is also self-existing. Communicable attributes we do share with God, but we don't share those perfectly because we are in a fallen state. For example, we do share, we do love, we do have joy, peace, forbearance, there's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and even gentleness. But those are not perfectly accomplished in our fallen state. But Christ has not only communicable attributes perfectly, but also has the incommunicable attributes perfectly completed as well. He is the perfect image of the invisible God. Uh, As we are in John now, go back to John chapter 1. We'll take a look at verses uh, 14 and 18. The Word of God reads, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I. 
for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. He has explained him. Explained him in the Greek. We, this is where we derive the word exegesis. Um, this is where we get that word. And, and, and to really think about it, he came to explain God. Who better to explain God than God himself? Because he is the exact representation of God the Father. You know, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 calls Jesus the exact imprint is where we get the word character of God's nature. In short, the New Testament uses various terms and expressions to point to a single theological reality, the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we are in John, turn to chapter 14, and we see in John 14, and this is Jesus explaining his equality with God. Uh, if he is the exact representation of God, he is of the, uh, the exact image, the imprint of God, then he has equality with God. And we see that in John 14. We'll be taking a look at verses 6 through 11. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And here's Philip, who asked a question in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Enough for us. Another translation, it is sufficient for us. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And here's Christ telling his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I mean, this is Christ obviously... Um, saying his, his farewell, really his goodbye before he's about to take upon the cross. And here's Philip who, who says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Can you imagine? Uh, here's Christ who has poured into these men, these, his disciples for three years. And now he's, he's come to the point where he's about to take upon the cross. He's been telling them all along what's about to happen. And here's Philip who asks, show us the Father and it is enough. It is sufficient for us. But Christ was very, very gracious in his response. Now, here's Philip, as H.B. Charles says, here's Philip asking an elementary question on graduation day. Right? This, is, this is right before the cross, and yet it, it, it appears that just Philip doesn't quite know who Christ is, although he has seen this wondrous works performed by the Lord. So this is Christ explaining his equality with God. And Christ is also, if we go back to our main text in verse 15, part B of that, 
that he is the firstborn of all creation. Christ is also the firstborn. Now, this is where we, some, some beliefs start to stray away from one another. Because cults will take this to mean that the firstborn, therefore, means that Christ was created. Now, this could not be further from the truth. Usually, when you see the word firstborn in the scriptures, it does not mean what, usually, it's, it's firstborn as the actual firstborn, but, but really, regarding the text, it's more of a chronological, chronological or ranking of something. Now, rank or position is usually used when it comes to the biblical text. For example, uh, in, the, in Greek and the Jewish culture, the firstborn was the son who had the right to the inheritance. This was not always the actual firstborn. Now, where do we see that in Scripture? Immediately we see Jacob and Esau, right? The older shall serve the younger. And God uses this term firstborn many times in the Old Testament. Uh, Israel is called the firstborn. We see that in Exodus 4. Um, Does that mean that they were the first nation to be created? Absolutely not. All that means is that Israel had first place in priority regarding the plan of God. It's a matter of ranking. And that's exactly what we see here, that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, meaning he is high above everything else. He has preeminence. Uh, Psalm 89, uh, verse 27 says, God says of the Messiah, I also shall make him my firstborn. And then goes on and explains what this means. In the very, in the very next, uh, next words here, it says, the highest of the kings of the earth, meaning ranking. In summary of the firstborn, Christ could not have been a literal firstborn and also be the only begotten. A literal firstborn means that there was some kind of beginning. Christ had no beginning. He's always existed from eternity past. So what the text is saying, what the text is telling us, is that Jesus is preeminent in creation, high above all things. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2, states, God, after he spoke long ago, to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. He also made the world. Back to our main text in Colossians, in 16, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, Verse 16 tells us, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now Paul is maintaining here that Jesus created all things and and there's there's a really two distinctions he's made those things that are invisible to the eye and those things that are very much visible to the eye for example things that are invisible we speak of thrones or dominions rulers and authorities those things that we cannot see by the eye the verbiage here refers to various ranks of angels now hold on to that for just one minute there because remember in the beginning I had told you guys that 
the main, one of the main heresies here was emanations, that, that messengers that would come from God were just simply another message uh, from God, and angel worship was huge also in Colossae. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, and this author in Hebrews makes this very quite clear regarding angels and Christ. And we see that in Hebrews uh, chapter 1. We'll take a look at verses 5 through 13. Now, the author here is actually quoting from Psalm 45, and we'll see how he uses this Old Testament text in the New Testament. It says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And all the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is a scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with all the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. And they will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed. But you are the same And your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said this? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Brethren, Jesus Christ is not on the same level as angels whatsoever. This completely flies in the face of what was believed in the church in Colossae. Jesus Christ is high above all of that. In Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be taking a look at verses 18 through 21. God's word tells us, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Don't miss this. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. If you can name it, he is above that as well. First Peter chapter 3 tells us, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. All these things are in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator of the invisible, but he's also the creator of of those things that are visible. For example, the heavens and the earth. You just walk around, you look up in the sky, 
You look at nature, you look at the mountains, he is the creator of all of it. You know, here on earth, uh, a lot of scientists say that we are in a Goldilocks zone, if you guys have ever heard that. Uh, this zone, uh, meaning here on earth, is, a perfect, is, is perfect for human life, for human life on earth. A few percentages closer to the sun and we would all melt. A few percentages further away and we would all freeze to death. Many other factors have to be just right for humans to be able to live here. For example, the force of gravity needs to be just right. Oxygen, nitrogen levels have to be just right. Distance and the size of the moon also have to be just right. Also, the force of electromagnetic fields have to be just right. And the tilt of the earth, that as well, needs to be just right. We take a step back and and all of this happened by chance? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, this is the works of the Lord. He created all these things, and we see that. If you turn with me to Psalm 19... In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, the Word of God tells us the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all of the earth, and, the, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its, and it, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is the cosmos. This is complete organization This is organized. This is not chaotic, right? This is complete organization. Not only did the Lord create all the things that we don't see and the things that we do see, but don't miss this. More importantly, He has created you. He has created you. The creator of all things, because He was and is before all things. For example, in John chapter 8, verse 58, as the Pharisees again are, are trying to corner the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord says, Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, I was. He said, I am. That's exactly what Yahweh told Moses to say, Who, who do I tell them sent me? Tell them that I am sent you. Yahweh, Christ. He is Yahweh. Micah states in 5.2, his, going forth, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Revelation 22.13 tells us that he is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He is the beginning and he is also the end. Back in our main text in verse 17 of chapter 1 in Colossians, he is also, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All things hold together. He is the sustainer, our great sustainer, the sustainer of all things. He holds all things together by the power of his might. 
Brethren, if he is the great sustainer, then he is also sufficient for every single one of us. Christ is sufficient. Without him, the cosmos would be chaos. And if, if he has the power to hold everything together, how could anyone believe that he needs to turn anywhere else to find completion? There's no completion in anything or anyone else, but only in the creator of all things, the Lord Jesus Christ. He sustains you and me. In whatever situation we might be in, he is the sustainer of all things. Turn with me, if you can, to Matthew chapter 6. He's a sustainer in whatever situation that we are in. And we must know that he is the one who sustains us. Matthew 6, 26 through 34. This is how he cares for us. This is how he sustains us. Verse 26, the word of God tells us, Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God has so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble. As Christians, we don't worry. At least we shouldn't. Christ is the sustainer of our lives. And whatever situation we might be in now, it was within God's providence and good sovereign will that that happened. And if he has brought us in that, he will also sustain us through it. Verse 18 of our main text tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that he is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And he is the Lord who created all things, that which is visible, which is that which is visible and invisible, but he also created the church. The church which he has come to die for. He is the firstborn of that as well. Now there's four truths that are found in this particular passage in verse 18. Number one, that Christ is the head of the church. The church referred to as the body. It is a living organism. Uh, What is the body without the head? It's dead, right? It's really nothing at all. Uh, Now think about it in your own body. There's nothing that you can do. You can't move an arm or walk a certain amount of distance or, or move your hand without that first being commanded by the head. The head controls everything. And that is the case when it comes to Christ being the head of his church. We are his body. We go off, his, off of his commands. He is the one that controls the body. 
And this isn't the case for the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, who is the head of the church? The Pope. That is not the case. That's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that Christ is the head of the church. The second truth is that Christ is the source of the church. He is the beginning of it. The origin of the church is found in Jesus Christ. We were chosen by him before the foundations of the earth, and we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, that we were predestined before the foundations of the world. And he chose us to be in Christ Jesus. His sacrificial death and resurrection has provided us with new life, meaning now the church has now come to existence. Therefore, he is the beginning of of the church. And we see that in Matthew 16 when, when he tells his disciples that he says, I will build my church. Is that the case now? Has he built his church? Absolutely. The church is built and is being built right now as we speak. Christ is continually building his church. Why? Because he's the sustainer, the creator of the church as well. Number three, Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Of all who have died in Christ, he is, he is the one who is the firstborn of those who had died in Christ. Others were risen from the grave, and you can think of Lazarus. Well, wait a minute, wasn't Lazarus uh, risen from the dead? Yes, but he died again. He died again. Christ is the firstborn of the dead, those who are in faith in God. Number four, Christ is the preeminent one. He is first place regarding ranking of everything that we don't see and everything that we see. If all of this wasn't enough, Paul drives the point home by stating that he is preeminent over everything. Jesus is not another emanation. He wasn't just another person come from heaven with simply another message. He was God incarnate. He is God incarnate. Verses 19 through 20 Back in Colossians chapter 1, we see the word tells us, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The fa- it was the Father's good pleasure that the deity, the fullness of who he is, dwelled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before closing, I do want to say, remember the, um, the Colossian heresy. It was emanations, okay? We have to bring, come back to that, that context. Angel theology was huge, angel worship, and Christ was just, for them, another angel, another messenger from God. And to guard the Colossian church of this heresy, Paul puts this safeguard in chapter 1 and also, again, in chapter 2 verses 8 through 15, and this is what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands 
in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through, the, through faith in, in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and, and the uncircumcision of the flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it, taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display of them, having triumphed over them and through him. I mean, what a Savior. This is who Christ is. The Jesus who created all things, God in the flesh, created the visible and the invisible, is preeminent over all things that this Lord, the creator of all things, would come down humbly to this world, to this cesspool of sin, and give his life for his people. What a Savior. I mean, we, we see that in Philipp- Philippians chapter 2 as we close. Philippians chapter 2 uh, verses 5 through 11. And this is what we know to be as the kenosis of Christ. It says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning he didn't go around flaunting who he was. Verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied. Kenosis, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at so that so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. From exalted Lord to a humbled servant, to highly exalted again, and now at the right hand of God the Father. It's good for us to remember the things that he laid aside and the emptying of himself. And what were those things? Well, what did he lay aside? He laid aside a face-to-face relationship, as we see with God the Father. And we see that in John 1.1. He also laid aside his independent authority and and was in complete submission to the Father. Uh, He laid aside his divine prerogatives. He was in, in, in complete submission to the Spirit's direction. He laid aside his eternal riches. He came down to own nothing, although he created and owns everything. He even created the very, the very tree that he would hang on. A per, he also laid aside a perfect, favorable relationship with the Father and instead experienced his wrath. All for his people. What a Savior this is. Uh, Let us pray.
Heavenly Faithful Father, we're so grateful for your Son. Thank you for his finished work upon the cross. We know that regarding salvation, Father, there's nothing that we bring forth that will cause us to be saved. The only thing that we do bring is the very sin that made it possible, that made it necessary for us to even be saved in the first place. And I pray that you diminish us more and more and that you highly exalt your Son in our lives more and more, not just today, but every single day as we go on proclaiming your glorious gospel and these glorious truths. May your name be highly exalted today and forevermore. We love you. We pray this all in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.